0: Well, friends, it is indeed wonderful to be with you here uh, this morning. Uh, We are in Psalm 30 uh, this morning. Uh, If you'd like to find it in your Bibles, I'm sure that will be of great help uh, to you and and also to me. And once you've found it, we're going to stand as I uh, read uh, God's Word to us. So uh, Psalm 30, when you've found it, if you'd like to stand. And I'm going to read it. Uh, for us now. A Psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cry to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought me my soul from Sheol. You restored to me life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favour is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord. And be merciful to me, O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosened my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Amen. Please do be seated. And as you're seated, let me pray. Uh, once more, let's pray together. May these words of my mouth and may the meditation of all our hearts together be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. I stare into some great abyss and calculate the things I'd miss if I could only make some sense of this, make it go away, make it go away. I crawl into my circumstance, lay on the table begging for another chance. I was a good girl. I can't understand how to make it go away, make it go away. Sometimes I wonder which hurts worse. The thought of dying or reliving every hurt was love the illness and disease the cure. Oh, the cure, make it go away. Make it go away. Lyrics from the nine-time Grammy award-winning singer Sheryl Crow. Lyrics which at the time were her most heartfelt For shortly after her well-publicized breakup with famous cyclist Lance Armstrong, Sheryl Crow was very sadly diagnosed with cancer. And hence in 2006, she penned the radiation song alternatively called Just Make It Go Away. For in the early 2000s, uh, Sheryl Crow had it all. The looks, the voice, the car, the mansion, the famous boyfriends. But, But in 2006, she was at death's door in the midst of dark and and deep depression, on the edge of demise, dismayed and dejected, Crow was down in the depths, and so she sang, make it go away. I'm not sure who she was singing those words to. Crow describes herself as having a relationship with, with some male or female higher power who is most evident in nature. Perhaps she was singing those words to God. Either way, Just a year later, Crow was lifted from that pit. In 2007, she was given all the all-clear. In 2007, she became a parent for the first time. In 2007, she recorded one of her best and most popular albums. And most happily of all, in 2007, she moved to Nashville. And on that, that new Nashville album, she sang a new song, a happy song in a major key, a song of joy which spoke of walking down the street of dreams and, and eating from the fruits of life for, for the nights of 2006 had turned into the mornings of 2007. And so the raised crow sang and she continues to sing to this day. Well, in Psalm 30, we meet another famous musician. Another musician who... who, who, who seemingly sings of their experience of, of moving from, from weeping in the night to rejoicing in the morning. And a musician who is equally as prosperous as Miss Crow. For the musician David, who writes, as we can see from this introduction, a, a, a psalm, a song at the dedication of the temple. Now, whether this uh, was a song written in preparation for, for the grand opening of, of, of Solomon's temple, that, that's David's son, Or whether that was a song of dedication for David's own palace, we we don't know. But the word there in the introduction is is merely house, a song at the dedication of the house. But whatever that house is, it is an indication that we are dealing with a rather prosperous singer-songwriter. For 3,000 years ago, David, like Crow, was was an absolute rock star. Fine-looking in appearance, skillful, popular, Rich. And yet, like Sheryl Crow, again, David remembers here a dark day. David recalls here in Psalm 30 a moment when he was down in the depths. Point one this morning. David, down in the depths. And what were those depths? Well, it's unlikely that David was going through a breakup with a world renowned cyclist. And yet, it does seem as though David was pretty depressed. He was oppressed, as you can see from verse one. It seems that he needs healing, verse 2. Indeed, it seems that David was very ill indeed. He describes his situation as being on the brink of death, on the edge of Sheol, that, that, is the, that is the realm of the dead, verse 3, and on the precipice of the pit, verse 9. And why is David there? Well, it seems as though David is there because God is angry with David's rock star pride and prosperity. For look with me at verse 5. Verse 5, his his anger is is but for a moment. For verse 6, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. David is in the depths because God is fed up with his pride. Fed up with David's boasts of indestructibility. Proverbs 16 famously says that pride goes before a fall. People say that that the greater the person, the greater the fall. And now this, this egotistical musician is free-falling and about to descend into the pit of death. Yet, just like Sheryl Crow flying up from 2006 to 2007.2, David is yet raised. David is down in the depths, yet David is raised. And so this psalm this, this is not ultimately a 2006 song of lament, but rather a 2007 song of thanksgiving. For David was verse 1 drawn up, verse 2 healed, verse 3 brought up from Sheol, restored to life. Indeed, this psalm constantly pictures that, 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 that glorious retaking of flight. Verse 5, David, David feels God's momentary anger, but then rises up to his forever favor. Verse 5 again, David weeps at night, but then rejoices in the morning. Verse 11, David mourns, but then he dances. Verse 11 again, David takes off his sackcloth, his black funeral clothes, and puts on his summertime glad rags. David is down in the depths, and yet David is raised. And so point 3, David sings for a lifetime. On that day of healing, and favor, and rejoicing, David awakes, he feels his strength renewed like the eagles. He does a little dance in front of the bathroom mirror and says to his servant, Go get the guitar. We're going to the Bluebird Cafe. I'll have a new song to sing. Because this moment. From the depths of the heights again, prompts David to return to his singing once more. Verse 11, you turned my mourning into dancing. You loosened my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Why, verse 12, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And so there is Psalm 30 in a nutshell. David's momentarily down in the depths, dealing with disease and depression at death's door because God was angry with him. Yet after just a short while, God raises David and David soars back to his perch to sing sweet songs again. And so how does Psalm 30 apply to you and I? Well, David seems to tell us in verse 4, verse 4, sing praises to the Lord. O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. David says, my song can be your song. Let's sing. But there's a problem with finishing there, isn't there? And the problem is not only because I've only been preaching about nine minutes, and I normally preach a little longer than that. But there is a deeper hermeneutical problem. In fact, there's more than that. Is There's a deeper heart problem here. With immediately thinking that, that, that David's song is just our song too. For we know that this song cannot be ours. Because not only are we not David's and not Sheryl Crow's, but, but also because we do not stay down for just a moment. For for every Sheryl Crow story of a, of a singer being down just for a year only to rise back up again, there is the Eva Cassidy story of the singer dying of cancer or the Buddy Holly story of a singer dying in a plane crash. In short, that the life graph is not always just one big parabola, a, a big U-shaped graph that, that, that moves from the heights to the depths and then and back again. For I don't know about you, Christian, but sometimes, often, life can feel more like a graph that, that edges closer and closer to the x-axis. Perhaps our health just keeps declining. We feel older, achier, slower. Youth is not coming back. We shall not rise up to play tennis anymore. Or our career hopes, nosedive. We fail the exam. We, we anger the CEO until we're forced to accept that, that we will, will never rise to earn as much money as our friends. Or our time to get married. And to have children has now passed. The chance of of having kids will not rise again. Or in our sin and our selfishness, we hurt a loved one irreversibly. We might be forgiven, but we know that that relationship will never rise again. And so we, we see that this song cannot be our song for life because sometimes in some areas, being in the depths is actually a constant decline. Well, that illness and that, and that depression, that, that bitter disappointment is not just some momentary blip on the life graph which heads ever upwards. And so, my friends, however old you are, please know that. If you're a Christian here, please know that. Please know that, that, that Christianity is no promise of happily ever after here. Christianity is no promise of some future King David or Sheryl Crow Pop star existence. Christians are not those who who, who live their, their lives like like Disney characters, saying to themselves, It feels like winter now, but just around the corner, I'll be singing because my summer is coming. For many of us, we may feel as though in this life we will never get to sing a song like this. Yet there's another reason why this song disappoints us if we just try to, to kind of transfer it onto our own playlist. And that is because sometimes we are down in the depths through no fault of our own. Now, David was momentarily down here because of his pride. God humbled David to the very depths because he said, verse 6, I'll never be moved. But sometimes, unlike proud David here, it is the humble that fall down to the depths and stay there. Sometimes the godliest people do not rise again. Sometimes we're in the depths and, and God is not angry with us. Yet it feels as though his his, his face is hidden for the rest of our days. The other day, I was reading the accounts of Richard Wormbrand, an evangelical minister who brought the gospel to communist Romania in the 1950s. And there in his writings, I came across the true story of Pastor Florescu, who was imprisoned for proclaiming Christ. A believer who was beaten by communists every day, and at night had starved rats fed into his prison cell. And one day his captors found his, his believing teenage son and they began to beat him in front of Florescu saying that they'd only stop if he gave up the whereabouts of all the Christians in the city. And Florescu's brave teenage son implored his father not to speak and Florescu did not and his son died right there in front of him. And in his diary Richard Wernbrand simply comments our dear brother Florescu was never the same. Was Florescu proud? No. Was God angry with Florescu? Certainly not. But did Florescu rise again in this life? No. Our dear brother Florescu was never the same. How could David's song in Psalm 30 be his? Furthermore in life, we recognize it in the same way that sometimes the humble don't rise. Sometimes it is the continually proud that, that come back from the brink. In 2016, the the atheist Richard Dawkins had a stroke and months later he said that he'd completely recovered so that he could now finish his book, Outgrowing God. In summary, it doesn't make sense for everyone to claim this song instantly as their own. Yet as Christians, we're often tempted to do that, aren't we? Well, sometimes we come to the Bible and either because we're a bit self-focused or because we're just very keen to apply it. We read our Bibles in such a way that it reads ourselves just straight into the text. We, don't, we do that with our, our favourite Old Testament heroes like Moses and, and Elijah and Sarah and Hannah. And sometimes we do that with David. In Bible study, we read of David's adultery. And we share with our home group that the danger of that flirtatious colleague at work. Or we read of David's great victory over Goliath. And we recall that time that we, we sacked the bullying quarterback. And, and so... With David's psalm, we, we just quickly make them our own. And my friends, that's not a great way to read the Bible. Indeed, it ends up being actually a rather disheartening and discouraging way for us to read the Bible. Because many of us quickly realize that we, we can't recall many David and Goliath moments in our lives. Not many Psalm 30 moments when, when God has raised us up from the hospital bed. And friends, that is understandable. Because David was unique David was God's unique and favoured king, uniquely favoured to point God's goodness and the goodness of his kingdom to to, to the nations. In short, David's prosperity was a visible picture of what God favoured. If David believed, if David fought Goliath, trusting in God, he and Israel would, would enjoy prosperity. If David sinned, if David committed adultery and murder, he and Israel would endure God's anger, his curses. And, and hence, when David is proud here, he is then physically ill. But when David turns back to God, he, he rises to full recovery. And so, my friends, we're, we're not King David. And if we read the Psalms like we are, we'll, we'll get ourselves and, and other people into all kinds of pastoral difficulty. For we shall feel pretty hopeless when we can't outbench-press the non-Christian twice our size or... More commonly, just pretty hopeless when we feel depressed and sick and it doesn't just go away in a few days' time. And yet, and yet there's another reason, an ultimate reason, why David's song cannot be our own. And that is because David says he is now raised to sing for a lifetime, verse 5. And that's not us, is it? Sometimes we don't make the time to, to praise God. Sometimes we don't, we don't even make the time when he has lifted us up. But more commonly, we, we cannot sing forever and ever, because even Cheryl Crows gets sore throats, and eventually every voice box gives up, and finally each tongue lies silent in the grave, for we are human. And so it is at this juncture, as we read that last line of this psalm and, and verse 12, we, we realize that this song, penned by David, is not ultimately written for him to sing. For how could David really say, verse 12, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. David might have gone better after some kind of terminal illness, but David eventually went to the grave. As he read earlier in Acts 2, as Peter preached, I may say to you with confidence about David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. King David could not sing praises to God forever any more than we can. And so we are to see not only that that Psalm 30 is not ours, but that Psalm 30 is, in a sense, not really David's. Of course, David wrote it. But this is not ultimately a song about David, down in the depths, yet raised to sing for a lifetime. But rather, like the whole Bible that points to him, this is ultimately Jesus' song. And about Jesus down in the depths and yet raised to sing for a lifetime. The Psalms, you see, are supremely the songs of the Lord Jesus. And if we are to understand them correctly, and if we are to see the wonderful richness in them and apply them well, then we must read them with Jesus in our mind's eye. Accordingly, we must firstly picture here, not David, not us, down in the depths, but Jesus Down in the depths. In verse 1, David thinks of his foes rejoicing. In verse 2, he speaks of needing help and healing. In verse 5, he speaks of, of weeping at night. David describes himself as being in the depths. But, friends, how much further did Jesus descend? Jesus went down to the very depths of this world. Jesus left heavenly health for all manner of earthly illness. As a child, Jesus got. No doubt, coughs and colds. As a son of a carpenter, no doubt he cut himself at times. We we know as teacher, people became his foe for no reason. And as saviour, he wept on that Gethsemane night until his sweat was like blood. Jesus descended further than we can ever imagine. Indeed, just look at verse three. For that air, David speaks of his soul going to Sheol, the, the, the realm of the dead. But ultimately, of course, David did not actually go there. David's soul was just just on the edge of that realm. But for us, Jesus falls headlong into it. Jesus at the cross does die. And Jesus' body and soul at death are ripped apart. Jesus' soul does go down to the the realm of the dead. And whilst Jesus does not, I think, go to hell, in the sense of the place of torment, Jesus' soul does go to the place of the righteous dead where Old Testament believers were. And indeed, that is where Jesus first proclaims his, his greatest victory. But, but also it is the place of his, his greatest humiliation and, and evidence is the depth to which Christ goes for us. And hence our savior and our comforter does not only know what, what it's like to be down, does not only know what it's like to be at death's door, but, but Jesus knows what it's like to die and be dead. And so while David experiences God's anger for a moment, verse five, for all his pride, Jesus incredibly experiences the full force of God's anger in spite of his staggering humility. As one who would descend from heaven to earth and from earth to the tomb and from the tomb to the realm of the dead, the humble Jesus takes all God's anger for us and goes to the realm which should be our eternal home. And so friends, if you're if you're here and, and you don't know what Christianity is or what it's all about, that is the glorious news of the gospel. That Jesus experienced in full the dismay, verse seven, of his father's face hidden. That Jesus went down to the very depths for you and I. Yeah, the, the complete picture of that good news, as pronounced in this song, is not only that Jesus went down to the depths for us, but that Jesus who went down was yet raised. Jesus, down in the depths, yet raised. For friends, what wonderful and apt praise do we find in this song when we picture the risen Lord Jesus Christ singing on that first resurrection morning. And friends, just imagine with me, that first resurrection Sunday with the music of, of Psalm 30 just playing in the background. Verse one, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life. Verse five, for his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night. But joy comes with the morning. The morning of joy that that David sung about was ultimately the morning of that resurrection Sunday to come. For as Peter explains again, as we read earlier in Acts 2, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades. This Jesus God has raised up. And so my friends, this song is not finally a song about You are I, rising up from a bad cold. Not finally a song about rising up post-operation. Not a song about one rising up the career ladder. Not finally a song about one rising up from the bottom of the maths class. This song is Christ's glorious resurrection anthem. And if we're too quick to apply these psalms to ourselves, then we'll, we'll forget just how good this good news is. For this psalm is all about Jesus not staying in the depths. But verse 3, God bringing him up from the realm of the dead. A psalm which pictures Jesus mourning at Gethsemane. In verse 11, that would soon lead to dancing in the garden. And a psalm that pictures the sackcloth of that Good Friday. Verse 11, being removed for clothes of gladness on Sunday morning. And why verse 12? So that Jesus' glory might sing God's praise forever. Jesus, down in the depths, yet raised to sing for a lifetime. Friends, it's not an image that that comes to mind very readily, is it? You know, I've seen uh, paintings of Jesus teaching, perhaps, or paintings of Jesus healing, paintings of Jesus on the cross, paintings of Jesus coming again. But who has ever seen a picture of Jesus singing? And yet Jesus sings. For Jesus sings not only before he dies, when he sings a hymn after the Lord's Supper on that final night, but in Romans 15, the risen Lord Jesus Christ is pictured by Paul singing praises to God and leading his church in singing to all the nations forever. One commentator writes on that Romans 15 passage, the resurrected Christ is now victor. And so he takes his place as global worship leader God is worshipped as a result of the work of the resurrected Christ. In this way, Jesus is the perfect worshipper of his father. Friends, can you see? Only one who rises from death is able to praise God forever. And it is through Jesus' glorious rising that God's faithfulness has been seen so that he may be worshipped. David pitifully pleads with God in verse nine. He says, what, what profit is there in my death? If I go to the pit, who will sing of your faithfulness? Lord, who will worship you if I go to the dust? Don't silence me. Don't, me. don't make me go down to the realms of the dead. God, I can't die because I'm your best soloist. But Jesus, the ultimate singer, is silenced. And Jesus does go down to the pit. And Jesus does go to the realm of the dead because God's faithfulness will best be seen through his descent into the pit and then God raising him. Listen, Jesus' resurrection song is far more glorious and it is far louder than any solo of David raised from his sickbed or any Cheryl Crow solo rising from her cancer. Because Jesus' song shouts of God's glorious faithfulness. Not from any sickbed or any hospital surgery, but from the realms of the dead. And also because that song is not a solo. Because Jesus' song is a song which, which brings forth a great choir from the grave that those united with him through faith in his death and resurrection might also rise to sing of God's faithfulness in his choir. Jesus is not only the better singer, but Jesus is the glorious choir master who leads all who trust in him in that song that will will echo all around the world forever. Indeed, because of his work, it is really only Jesus who may legitimately lead us in verse 4. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. And so friends, if you're here and you're not one of his faithful people, you're not one of his saints, well, I want you to know that you are very welcome here. But also, if you do not know Jesus, if you don't believe in his death and resurrection, then sadly this, this song isn't yours. God may kindly spare you from a cold or from cancer. You may end up with a happily ever after life. But if you continue to reject his risen son, then I'm sorry, but you will not rise from death to dance. And yet, my friend, if you do trust, if you do turn to trust his son on this day, or if you have believed in him already, it is at this juncture that you may reclaim Psalm 30 for your playlist. Because for those of us who are united with Christ, we know that Jesus' death is our death. And we know that Jesus' resurrection ensures our resurrection. And so Jesus' song here can be our song too. And so final lens through which to understand this psalm, you, you and me, down in the depths, yet raised to sing for a lifetime. You and me, Down in the depths, yet raised to sing for a lifetime. Friends, for those of us in Christ, by faith united to him, by a simple trust in him, what does this song teach us? Well, firstly, it reminds us that if we are in Christ, then we should expect times when we are down in the depths. We are to expect to be down because we live in a fallen world, just like Jesus. And so sometimes Christians are those who get sick. And sometimes Christians are those who do not get better. And sometimes Christians are those who get depression. And sometimes Christians stay depressed. And sometimes Christians are those who fall into debt. And sometimes those Christians never climb out. Furthermore, I I would argue that those who follow Christ should expect to be the ones who are most likely to be down here. For what did Jesus promise in Luke 9? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Or think of Paul speaking to the Philippian church, Philippians 1. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Friends, as I've already said Christ does not guarantee your best life now. In the sense that if you're in Jesus, then, then all your earthly dreams will somehow come true. Indeed, if you are in Christ, then there are often more tears before bedtime. Tears as you put your, your family before your career, perhaps. Or tears as, as you are oppressed for your stance on sexuality. Or tears as you say no to dating the non-Christian friend. Or tears as you're laughed at for sharing the gospel. Friend, because you are in Christ, then, then like Christ, you may experience the depth here. But friends, the brilliant news, the wonderful news, and the great hope of Psalm 30, and the delightful truth of verse 5, my, my favorite line in the song, is that weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And that morning, that morning as we have already thought about, is that morning when like Christ, we shall be raised And so, friends, I don't know many of you here. Some of you here might be right in the depths right now, this week. But I know that if you are in Christ, you will rise. Some of you here may be internally, like David, weeping and wailing. But if you are in Christ soon, you shall dance. Some of you here may wear sackcloth for the rest of your your days on earth but those in Christ at the end will change clothes and soon will be clothed with joy. For as Christ in in real time and real space rose from death, so those who remain in him will do exactly the same. Friends, can you see therefore how key, how key the resurrection is? Can you see why we as Christians meet every week on Sunday morning and not even on Friday night? You know, sometimes I think we just we just look at the resurrection as proof that Jesus just died for our sins. But friends, that is not a wonderful enough view of Jesus' rising. For, for, for the resurrection of Jesus is not just that the signature on that restaurant bill that confirms that the price is paid. But the resurrection is the certain promise that we are right on the coattails of Jesus and we are soon getting out of this dive of a restaurant that serves up tears and troubles. Friends, because of Christ's resurrection, we attain. We attain that the greatest heartfelt wishes of our world, the greatest heartfelt wishes of our whole world, you know, a couple of years ago, I read of a really sad story of a 14-year-old girl from London, and this girl had won a high court battle. The girl was terminally ill, far worse than King David here, far worse, a cancer than Cheryl Crow's. And above everything, her hope, her wish was to rise again. And so she went to court. She went to court so that she could be cryogenically preserved when she died, It was a landmark case. It was a landmark case in England because her father didn't want it. But she convinced the judge in a moving letter which said this. I've been asked to explain why I want this unusual thing done. I'm only 14 years old and I don't want to die. But I know that I am going to die. And I think that being cryopreserved gives me the chance to be cured and woken up. Even in hundreds of years time. I want to live and live longer, and wake up again. I want to have this chance. This is my wish. And I guess, I guess there's a part of everyone here that really resonates with her letter, no matter how old we are. I want to live. I want to rise. That is my wish. Friends, most of, of, of the world fears being down in the depths, but everyone in the world wishes to rise. And in Christ, we have it. And it is not wishful thinking. For Jesus raised from the depths by God. And so we who are in him will rise also. And so in Christ, we we have what the world wishes. But more than that, for in Christ, we have what the world loves to sing about. 1993, NFL wildcard game. Buffalo Bills versus the Houston Oilers. 1994, key NCAA game, Kentucky Wildcats versus LSU Tigers. 2004, the World Series, Boston Red Sox versus the New York Yankees. And just for me, and probably no one else in this room, 2019, the Cricket World Cup, (laughs) England versus New Zealand. If we're sports fans... We remember many finals, but the ones that we cherish the very most are the comebacks. For we love it. We love it when our our team is down and out. And yet in the the second half or third quarter or the last minute, they rise to win. Indeed, there's nothing better. There's nothing better than a triumph on the sports field. When you come out of the depths and to, to glorious victory. And we know that because... That is what the fans sing about. Fans enjoy every victory, but the ones that they cannot help sing about is the comeback. For we've been designed by God to, to, to praise the comeback. That's why so many popular stories and, and films and, and TV shows and plays and London musicals are, are based on that on that parabola. For we love it when, when the great fall from the heights only to, to rise again. It is what we wish for. It is what we hope for. It's what we've been built for. We are resurrection-wired people. And so when it happens, we love to sing about it. And so very final sub-point, if you're still with me, you, down in the depths, yet raised to sing for a lifetime. Raised to sing for a lifetime. Our friends, there's plenty of good re- reasons to sing, aren't there? You live in the singing city. We sing often... When we're feeling good, when we're enjoying a party, sing when we're falling in love. We often sing about the country that that we love living in. As C.S. Lewis wrote, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not only expresses but completes the enjoyment. And so if we spend time fully comprehending our our, our depths, if we spend time really meditating on on our rise, if we see it, and if we dwell on it, and really enjoy it, then we shall naturally sing about it. Verse 4 commands the saints to sing praises to God. But, but really, we shouldn't really need the command to sing in life, because that, that rising from the depths should compel us. It should compel us to sing in life. Of course, there's nothing wrong with Christians singing at the football match, or Christians singing 1980s love ballads in their car. Indeed, if we're Christians, I think we are to be those who appreciate all the gifts that God has given. But there is probably something concerning in our lives. If we claim to be Christians, but, but, but never want to sing about our glorious and imminent comeback. Indeed, friends, if that's you, why do you think that is? Why do you think it is that you sing and dance at your every earthly joy, but for that heavenly clothing with joy soon, you, you just kind of shrug your shoulders on a Sunday? and your soul stays silent? Can it be that all of your hopes of tomorrow are here in this earthly tomorrow and not in the eternal tomorrow to come? Sheryl Crow, who I mentioned at the start, famously sang the, the 1997 James Bond film. She sang, Until the day, until the day the world falls away, Until you say there'll be no more goodbyes, I see it in your eyes, tomorrow never dies. The reality, of course, is that the earthly tomorrow does die. Even when we seem as indestructible as Sheryl Crow or James Bond. The earthly tomorrow of Crow dies, but the heavenly tomorrow of the Christian never dies. Indeed, ironically, that tomorrow comes on that day when the world falls away. Because, of course, that final line of this psalm, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever, finds its glorious crescendo, not in any chorus at home by ourselves or, or even at church on a Sunday morning, but finds its crescendo into tomorrow's new anthem with that resurrection choir on that last day. The Apostle John describes it for us in Revelation 14. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, Standing on Mount Zion. And with him, 144,000, that is those who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven, like the roaring of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of the harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne. And they sang a new song before the throne. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we want to to thank you and praise you so much for your goodness. We thank you for the truth of this wonderful psalm. Not the truth that we shall rise from every earthly disappointment now, not the truth that we as Christians will live some kind of fairy tale existence in this life, but that in Christ, who went down to the depths for us, we like him shall rise. For Father, we, we do believe, we do repent. We put our faith in Christ. And so we are united to him, as your word says. And so being tethered to him, help us to accept moments when we are in the depths because we know that we shall rise up from those depths soon and that that weeping will end and soon we'll dance and soon we shall sing. And so, Father, would you help us in the meantime to sing to you now as we shall do forever. In his name we pray. Amen.